Five scores! Rick Vaughn. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Vaughn, Gary Madden. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone. Episode 7 of the Squid and Ultimate Leafs fan show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining him as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how's things? A little tired today, Mike. Had my first foray out of out of town yesterday, and uh, up in Lindsay for hometown hockey, and uh, got home a little bit late last night. So, eh, but I'm I'm okay. But it was nice to get out and finally do an appearance, and <laughs> it felt pretty darn good, I'll tell you. Well, I'm sure you won't be alone. A lot of guys, and I'm sure the fans are happy to see you guys and be able to get in touch with you guys again. So it's been a long time coming for everybody, and it's nice to see everybody back doing what they all love to do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our guest today was one of the most colorful and popular players to ever wear the blue-white. Squid, he's connected to you not only because you both patrolled the wing for the Leafs, <laughs> but traded for each other February 18th. I always remember that day because that's Debbie's birthday, so I better never forget that. 1980. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He was the second round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs in 74. Also chosen by Cincinnati in the WHA. Was Toronto's missing piece of toughness, lacking in those days, but could also score with 241 goals, 272 assists, along with 3,966 PIMS, as the kids call them today. The most still in NHL history. He's also an author, an entrepreneur. Please welcome this good and ultimate leap man show. Dave Tiger Williams. First off, Tiger, thanks for joining us. And how you doing? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks for having me. And Squid, uh, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, just uh, I like I said, fellow Mike. I went up to do hometown hockey in Lindsay on the weekend, and it was the first time that I've been out of the house for an appearance or anything in well, what a year, eight months, something like that. So it was, it was pretty cool. It was. Uh, Lindsay has a soft spot in my life because the guy who drafted me, Torchy Shell, who was a scout for the Leafs back in the, in the day in the 60s, 70s, and the 80s, and Torchy was from Lindsay. But Torchy served most of his time in the RCMP in Saskatchewan. So I was lucky to uh, – and my first year coming to training camp in 74, Torchy decided I was, should drive to Toronto so he could educate me and then he would stop the, before that night before whatever motel we were staying at all the way to Toronto. And he had let me out. And then he would, I'd have to run to the motel. And uh, the first first night I'm already at the motel and he's unpacking his car a little bit. And he goes, who give you a ride here? Who give you a ride here? You're supposed to run all the way. I said, I did, Torchy. There's no way you did. I said, Torchy. I'm ready to go, buddy. I'm ready to go. <laughs> we did that every night for four nights all the way to Toronto. Well, we're going to get into that. But, I mean, now, Tiger, usually we ask the guests what they're currently doing. But before you, we're going to take a little detour. Squid mentioned that speaking to you the other day, one of the things you did this off summer was shoot gophers. Now, as I understand <laughs> it, they are a nuisance because the holes they dig, cattles can break their legs. Uh, the number he mentioned, 7,000. Is that accurate? 
We uh, we shoot a lot, yeah. And? Well, I mean, uh, it's been so. We've had a dry, dry year out here in in Saskatchewan. I'm in. I'm at Beaver Flat on Lake Diefenbaker, where uh, we've had a home here since '74, and I built a new one ten years ago. And uh, our conditions out here are not good for the agriculture of people. Uh, we're as dry as it's probably been since the '30s. I think we built. Uh, we've beaten uh, the fact that uh, 88 was a very dry year, but I think it's even worse. We've had no rain here since uh, maybe an inch and a half since the 1st of May. And uh, oh, so wow. it's been tough on the ranchers and, and on the agricultural people, but we'll get by. I mean, uh, and this is going to happen. It happened before and it will happen again. Well, I knew about the Gophers because I played with a guy, Kelly Dean, whose brother you would know, Barry, played for the Flyers. They were from Maple Creek, Saskatchewan, and I visited there once, and they went out and used to shoot the Gophers to stop them from digging a hole. So I was educated on it when Squid told me that one already. Now, well, Tiger, Dizzy, Dizzy Dean, as we yeah, call Barry, yeah, that's he him. lives here at Beaver Flat. Oh, he's still, he, is he really? Yes, there's five NHL guys live here. There's uh, 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 Dizzy's here, Yeah, uh, Travis Moen. Zach Smith and Dean Kennedy has a place here. He ranches at Pincher Creek, but he's got a cottage two doors down for me and myself. There's five of us here. You guys have a good old timers team. We, we <laughs> would, and we do play out on the ice in the winter. We built a rink here in town. Uh, all local uh, fellows uh, got together and uh, we, uh, they redid a rink in Swift Current and we got their boards. And so when it gets cold enough, we'll be out there. Playing under the lights. Now, Tiger, when I met you a number of years ago, you were with you were starting or getting involved with PRD, the oil company. Are you still involved with them? No, uh, we got bought out years ago, and uh, then we did another one after that, and then we got bought out again. So, uh, what I do now, Mike, is you know what you do on Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, I do that every day now. <laughs> 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 well, I'm retired too, so I do that every day of Saturday and Sunday to me too. So we, we got the same thing. Well, let's let's take it back a little bit to growing up out west in Saskatchewan. Speak to days of your days in youth hockey leading up to playing in Swift Current. Well, I, I grew up in Weber and I played my minor hockey there, and we always had very good teams. We had always had really good players. Uh I was, uh, in those days, I was a defenseman. I was a defenseman when I got, I was actually part of Medicine Hat Tigers organization because the fellow that coached there, Jack Shoup, he had me on his list. And then when uh, I played for their their junior A team in Vernon the year before I come to the Western Hockey League, and uh, that, the end of that season, uh, Jack said to me, he back home in Wavered, he said, uh, I'm going to trade you to Swift Current because he said, you will not play very much in Madison Hat. He's, you know, Lanny was there, Lysiak was there, uh, Bobby Gassoff, uh, big uh, Jimmy McCrimmon. They had a, a, well, they went to the Memorial Cup that year. And uh, he says, you might as well go somewhere where you're going to get to play a lot. It's going to be better for your, for moving up the ladder. So he dealt me to Swift Current, and I come here to Swift Current as a 17-year-old, and uh, it worked out good for me. So I have to thank Jack for, for thinking about me and not about himself. 
Now, you lasted three years. You played three years for the Broncos. Your draft year, you put up great numbers, 52 goals, 56 assists, 108 points, along with 310 penalty minutes. It was the year of the start of the Flyers, the brawling ways. The WHA was a couple years old. Were you a little surprised you didn't go higher in the draft? Uh, no, I wasn't. And the reason being, Mike, is that that in 74 was the first year of the 18-year-old draft. Yep. And back then, they had to be drafted in the first two rounds. And so uh, um, because of that, uh, us guys that were, uh, we got bumped, we got bumped down, you know, to the second okay. or the third round because that was a heck of a draft choice. I mean, Jack Valaquette was Toronto's first round draft choice. Right. Pierre LaRouche, you know, as an 18-year-old and blah, 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 blah. There was a lot of good players in that draft that year that had to go in the first two rounds. And so, uh, but does it really matter when you get drafted? I think the most important thing is uh, to get an opportunity to go to somebody's camp and, and, uh, and there was a hole for you or there was a, you know, a, a chance for you to make the team. And as you know, I never started out in Toronto. I got sent to, sent to Oklahoma. Oklahoma. And I played in Oklahoma City for uh, whatever it was. And uh, I was doing very well there as far as scoring and all the other stuff. I had a great captain. He was another Saskatchewan boy. Mike Sauter was his name. And uh, Mike uh, schooled me pretty good down in uh, the time there. But the only reason I got called up was uh, I was in the top 10 for sure in the, in the Central League in scoring at that time. But... The most important thing was, and God bless his soul, because he's not with us anymore, either one of them, but Bob Gassoff in a game in Toronto speared Jackie, uh, Eddie in the face, and ripped him open pretty good. And King Clancy was the guy who put the call in for me to come up because we're going back into St. Louis for the next game. And, uh, or shortly after that, I think the first game I played was in Long Island, and I had to deal with those clowns. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it was because of Bob Gassoff ripping the Eddie open up, setting another set of tracks on Eddie Shack's face, that I got called up. And uh, when we went into St. Louis, him and, him and I got in a fight and warm up, and then in the first period, and back then you could, there was no rule like it is now, three and you're gone. And that was when uh, uh, Mr. Gregory said to me, uh, who was awesome GM, best GM I ever had, said, you're staying up, kid. So, you know, and I was married then. Uh, I was probably the youngest guy in the league with the youngest wife. Brenda was 17 and I was 20 when we got drafted. So she came up to Toronto and uh, I never uh, had an opportunity to go to the minors again. Not that I wanted to until I was in Detroit and I asked for a trade because they played for seven games at 10 nights and I wanted to get out of, out of Detroit. So it was Bob Gassoff who put me in the National Hockey League. Tiger, obviously in junior and, and growing up, going before junior, you, you, you know, you're a good player. You put up some points, scored some goals. When did you, or was it a conscious decision or did it just kind of happen where, where you figured out, okay, if I'm going to go all the way to the top, I'm going to have to play a little bit different game, and I'm going to have to play tough as well. Well, I, 
You know, I think you got to be smart enough to realize what what is the weakness on this team, and am I? If that weakness does that play into your game as a player, and in Toronto, uh, they needed somebody to to do that, whatever role you want to call it, the tough guy role, and it so it just worked perfectly for me because I was capable of of of, of doing that role, and I thought I was pretty good at it. And uh, so the problem is, though, as we all know now, is that once you get in that role, you got to kind of stay in there. Because King Clancy mm-hmm. told me uh, after my first year, he says, you know, a lot of you guys come in this league as crushers. You get up one day and you want to be a rusher, <laughs> and two days later you're an usher. He says, stay in your role, do your job that it helps your teammates. And, uh, it, and it, it didn't really change over 15 years. Well, I want to go back to the WHL back in your junior days and just maybe explain to the listeners just how tough it was to play in that league. Those long bus rides, the grueling weather, small town hockey was it, but your team alone had almost 2000 minutes in penalties your last year. Well, you know, it, it was a tough league, and as, you know, and it was it was typical. You had Flynn Flon, where Bobby Clark and Reggie Leach and those guys come out of there, and they always had very tough teams. So uh, every game was a battle. Regina always had good teams. Uh, Madison had always had a good team. Brandon had Chipperfield, and you know, Billy D played there. And uh, you know, you 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 just you got to do what you got to do. I mean. Uh, if you can't cut it, then go home and, uh, you know, be a farmer or whatever you're going to do. And uh, again, you, it, 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 you know, on your team, you got to bring whatever you do better than the rest of guys. And you have to be consistent at it. That's what it's all about. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, if I did it all over again, uh, it would be totally different in today's game, but, you know, you just do what you got to do, and then, and then when you're when you're lucky enough to be on a good team with good players, uh, uh, most people don't remember this, but I played way more on the road than I did at home because they had last change. So I always got to be on the ice with Lanny and and, and Daryl, and that was a good thing because I don't care how it goes in as long as it goes in. I love them going off my head and my ass and going in the net. So, but you just, you got to be consistent because there's a lot of fellows that come into the league and want that role, but they get tired of the role. Their face gets, you know, their their wives are tired of pulling stitches out of their face and they change. You got to be consistent. I look at that last picture. You were 22 in junior. When did you decide to wear 22, or is that just a number that was given to you? No, I'll tell you exactly what happened there, Squid, was uh, um, John Ferguson played in Malville for the Malville Millionaires back in the day. And for some reason, uh, then he was in Montreal, he wore number 22, and I right. went up to Malville one time. Uh, he was there signing autographs. And so my my dad drove me up there. And I met Fergie for the first time. And 
I liked him. He was really the first guy I'd ever met. And I decided right then I was going to wear a 22. And uh, <laughs> I wore it ever since. And when I got traded to Vancouver, uh, which uh, there was another fellow there at 22. You had 22, but you went to Toronto. And by the way, I was very disappointed in that trade uh, of you and Billy D going to Toronto. Because if you two guys would have stayed in Vancouver and I would have traded for whoever else, we would have had one hell of a line, the three of us. Because you guys were young. And you young. I would have babysat you guys. It, we would have been one of the top lines in the whole friggin' league. So I've always been disappointed in the fact, A, I got traded, but B, I got traded for you two guys because you would have been great teammates. And then, I know you, I would have excelled even higher if I would have had you two young guys because, you know, you can never beat the youth, you know, and uh, the talent that both you and Billy D had, that I would have fit perfectly on that line. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I, I wouldn't have minded that either, Tiger, one bit. <laughs> now, Tiger, a guy you did play with in junior by the name of Brian Troche. Now, did you see anything him at the, at the time that led you to believe he would be a force in NHL? And what was it if you did? Well, Trotch is a phenomenal person, number one. And uh, it's amazing about all the Hall of Famers and all the guys that are great players. They're good people off the ice. And that's why I think they, they excel so much. But Trotch was a, an exceptional, talented guy. Uh, you know, he, he his Foot speed and his hand speed was was in a league by himself. Uh, unfortunately, what happened to Trotz in his first year? Of course, he was uh, he he was great as a sixteen year old, never mind a seventeen year old, and he got tired of guys whacking and hacking and cross checking and you know the regular crap back in the seventies. Yeah. And and Trotz actually quit and went home. Oh. And most people don't know this. And uh, we come to practice one day, and there, he was gone. And I said to our coach, Dan, then I says, where's Trotch? And uh, he says, he's quit on us. He, he, he doesn't want to take the, the BS anymore on the ice. And I said, well, he'll be back here tomorrow. So I asked for 20 bucks for gas and uh, borrowed a car, drove down to, to his ranch at Val Marie, and uh, sat there and talked to him and that was the first time I met his grandmother and she was in her eighties at the time. And we just talked and everything. And I kind of worked it in where, okay, buddy, uh, you know, uh, what's your plan here? And he goes, no, I, I, I'm not interested in getting cross-checked back in the head three times again. And I said, okay, here, here's what's going to happen. You're going to come back. I'm going to take you back in an hour or so. And nobody's ever going to hit you again. I, I will deal with that. I promise you that. We will look after you. And at the time, it made me think, geez, maybe I, you know, we're letting them go through that phase. That you gotta, you're going to have to, you know, when you're that good, you're going to have to deal with some of it. But maybe we, we, we didn't do enough for him right off the bat. So Ronnie DeLorme, who was playing with us in Swift Guard, uh, when, we, when I, I brought, and I said to Trot, you're coming back. And there was two reasons for that. Number one, we needed him. I was not getting drafted without him. That's how good he was. Mm -hmm. I knew he was part of he was part of my ticket. 
and I needed that man on, on, on my team. So on a selfish point of view, which we all are selfish when, when it comes to this game sometimes, I needed that man in our lineup. And we need him for our franchise and everything else. And because he, you know, we've all played with good players, whether you were in Bantam or Midget. And you've seen guys, mm -hmm. the guys older go on and why they make it and why some guys don't. But when you run into exceptional people like a Trotche, you cannot let him get away from you. And I would have dragged that little bugger home uh, back to Stuttgart no matter what, because we needed to have him. And us guys that in our draft year, we certainly needed him. And so I brought Trotch home, and and seven Stanley Cups later, he's probably, well, not probably, he is the best player that ever come out of Saskatchewan. The seven Cups proved that. His his presence on and off the ice is just phenomenal. He's a there's yeah. no better guy. He's in the same league as uh, the Flowers, the Sittlers, the McDonald's, you know, the Stevie Eisermans. And, uh, and I never played with Flower, but I played with Stevie. They're just great people and with great talent. Mm -hmm. And that's why they achieve so much. So, uh, Trotch, I, you know, I wouldn't be talking to you guys if I wouldn't have got Trotch back because he, he helped me a lot. Uh, on the ice it, and and you know what that's kind of the, the kickoff where I realized I have to look after my best players I they gotta know I got their back and so I did it you know my whole career oh that, that's pretty I mean and I've met Brian many many times and, and at different events and that and he's just such a great person and, and, and I think you're right when you say like, I mean, I've met a lot of great players, uh, older guys that played in Montreal, Toronto, whatever, that are in the Hall of Fame and they were great players. And when you meet them, you, you're you're kind of nervous, but then they, they're great guys. Like, you know, all of a sudden, they, they kind of welcome you and they you start talking to you and everything else. I, that's one thing about hockey players that I've, I've always loved is that you look at all the great players in the game of hockey in the NHL, off the ice, they're great people as well. And uh, that's one thing that I love about the game more than anything else. I, I, I still talk, I talk to Trotch on a regular basis. I always have. Uh, the other story about Trotch, which is uh, I can say now, but I was very, very nervous about it in, uh, when Trotch uh, uh, started with the Islanders, was that, um, as you know, Squid, uh, we weren't, it was not cool at all to talk to your buddies that weren't on that were playing mm -hmm. on another team. The older guys didn't like it, and they certainly would have uh, kicked you in the rear end if they ever caught you even winking at your buddy because they know they they're not stupid. They know who you play junior with and blah 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 blah. But Trotch and I, we still seen each other all the time. He was nervous about it. I was nervous about it. And he had said to me, okay, you know what? The hotel walked down two blocks. There's a 7-Eleven. I'll pick you up. So after the game, <laughs> win, lose, or draw, he'd, I'd walk down two blocks to jump in the car. We'd go. He was staying with the family, the Amadola family out in Long Island. And we'd go there so nobody could see us. And uh, we'd hang out there. Some nights I might stay overnight. And, and some nights he'd drive me back when the bus was going or what was going on. And we never said a word our whole careers together. 
it hasn't, it's only been lately that him and I had a discussion about it. And I just tried, I have no problem telling my, uh, my buddies uh, that I, I met with you. Cause I think the guys know that if I had to run you over to win, I would do it. And, and no, no problem because your crest is more important than you are. You're playing for that crest. And if you're not willing to die for that crest on you, go be an accountant, you know? So um, <laughs> uh, we, we did that the whole time. And uh, nowadays I think the guys see each other in today's game on a regular basis, but we, we hit it. We hit it. We we're nervous about it. I was very nervous. I didn't want Keon or Normie Allman or any of the older guys to ever know that I was doing that, but I did it. And he was the only player I did it with. Well, I was going to say that you touched on your first game and why you were there. Talk about your first time through the league. Were guys challenging you? Because let's face it, they knew why you were there and it was no secret. And even maybe touch on going into Philadelphia the first time. Well, you know, Philly was a good a good spot for me uh, for the fact that I knew I was going to play a lot. And so it, <laughs> yeah. it, it enhanced. Other than when you were in the penalty box, right? Yeah, well, I mean <laughs> – the, the thing about Philly is they never had one or two guys. They had five or six guys, you know, yeah. you know they, they, they had the hammer. They had, well, there's Jack Marco Hardy there, but they had, you know, they all, they all played very aggressive. You know, Moose, Moose DuPont was a very aggressive defense. And this was not much, you know, you know, he didn't really fight very much, but I mean, when he hit you, it hurt. And then he cross checked it hurt. And he was a big man. But you just had to deal with it. The, the good thing about going into Philly for me, as I knew I was always going to be on the ice with Daryl and, and Lanny, you know, and uh, and whatever happens, it happens, you know. Uh, uh, but it wasn't, it, you know, and I think there's a few guys out there that I played with in Toronto and other teams when they went into Philly, I they were very, very nervous. Uh, they were very, very nervous. And, it was amazing. There'd be a few guys that would get hurt and warm up or in the morning skate. Cause I don't think they wanted to play in Philly, you know, yeah. but Philly made, it kind of made me, it was no different going into Boston. You know, if you can deal with, 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 with uh, Terry O'Reilly or, or with uh, Johnny Wensick and all the different guys they had, Kenny Hodge, they're big, right. You know, being a left winger on the right side, all their tough guys were on the were right wingers. So it, 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 it helped you, you know, it, it, you know, you're in the same kind of league. They played the same way you did and you had to compete uh, uh, against those guys. And, you know, just a, a Terry O'Reilly story. Uh, we, uh, we get in a scrap in, uh, I think it was our third one in Boston. And I end up on the bottom of the pile and Taz is on top of me and uh, uh, my helmet's off. And, uh, uh, Cashman comes by and he, I'm laying on the bottom of the pile and he boots me in the head a few times and the blood's just squirting out of the side of my head. Woo! Woo! It's just shooting right across the ice. And O'Reilly says, Tiger, get underneath me. And he protected me. Now that's a warrior. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned Philly because like the one year and we were out of the playoffs and Harold decided that we were going to go to Atlantic City after the game in Philly, which was our last game of the season. And 
leading up to the last game, the last couple of weeks, like literally we had about eight guys or nine guys go down with groin injuries or what have you. And we go to Philly and, and we got about eight guys sitting in the press box. We lose 7-1. But before that, I went up to Jerry McNamara and I said, Jerry, why, why are we go doing this? Like we're not even in the playoffs. And we're getting rewarded by going to Atlantic City after the game. And then all of a sudden, when I saw eight guys out, I went, I, I, I was so upset that I didn't know what to do. And I, I kind of kept my mouth shut. I wanted to go and scream at, at, at Ballard. <laughs> but I figured, well, that might not be a good idea. <laughs> well, you got, you know, I, one thing that I, uh, uh, looking back, I was fairly vocal, uh, uh, with management and 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 it cost me uh get traded a couple of times but again my job was to look after my teammates on and off the ice so if you screw with my teammates on the ice i'm going to deal with it and if you screw with my teammates off the ice being management i'm going to deal with it because everybody deserves respect and you don't treat ever treat my teammates wrong. Um, I'm, I'm trying to find a better yeah. word right now, but I got traded over Mark Crawford over that because uh, management were dicking him around. And I went and told him, you, you, you're not doing this to him again, or I'm going to punch you out. You don't <laughs> teach my teammates. You teach them with respect. And I don't give a shit if you get traded or not. You don't screw with my teammates on or off the ice. Well, here's a story for you that goes back yeah. to time. And you see if you recall this one, that one night earlier when you were playing with Sittler and McDonald, Sittler got into an altercation with someone and you, and I guess apparently looked on his face, he was quite stunned. You pulled him out of the pile and basically said, that's my job. I'll take care of that. Get out of here. Well, <laughs> you want, you want your best guys not engaging in that stupidity uh, because if they break their hand, how good your power play going to be? Yep. You, you know, you want them to stay in their zone and you stay in your zone. And and going back to what King Clancy said to me, don't, after a while, you score two or three goals in, in a row or something, thinking you're another, you know, you're going to be the, the next Rick Vive. That is not your friggin' role. It's no different than a DH hitter in in, in in the world series coming up here, hopefully Houston's going to yeah. win, but you know, you've got to stay in your role and do what your teammate needs you to do. That's your job to look after yeah. your teammate. So do it. Cause if you don't, somebody else is going to do it for you. And you're going to be like King Clancy says, you're going to be an usher selling popcorn. I mean, that's, that's the reality <laughs> of it. Stay in your zone, stay in your, your what, your strength is, and you'll always have a job. Well, Tiger, your first year in Toronto, you basically matched what you did in Oklahoma with the Leafs. So you had a pretty good mindset going into camp, I imagine, the next year. So 75-76, you scored 21 goals, almost 300 penalty minutes. Were you finding now that as your reputation was going around the league and preceding you, that you were getting a little more room as a result of your style of play? I don't think you get any more room. I think you just get more opportunities to be on the ice more often. Uh, and like I said before, you got to play in, uh, on the road more than you did at home because a lot of times at home, 
uh, Errol Thompson would play with Daryl and Lanny, and nobody could skate. He had the best backhand, backhand in the history of the game, in my opinion. And, you know, it just it was just suited for me to play more on the road than at home. And then you just, you know, you're out there and, you know, you know they go in every once in a while. And, and like I said before, I don't care how they go in as long as they go in. But you have to keep learning the game because the, the one thing about uh, the game is that it, it, it changes, uh, you know, different, different lines you play against. You have to, you have to do whatever you got to do. But uh, the one thing that I always remind myself is what is my friggin' job? Why am I here? And a lot of guys would come in and do the same thing I did for four or five years, and they got tired of doing it. Uh, and I think they get tired of for two reasons. I think their 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 significant others are tired of uh, taking stitches out of their head, and they want to change. Well, you're not good enough to change, man. Stay inside your area, and and, and be an expert in your area. Just like you never see a goal scorer deciding to be a tough guy. So why why would you do the opposite? It made no sense to me. Tiger, um, how? Like I know we know we always love nicknames, obviously, and and uh, the stories behind how they happen. How did you get the nickname Tiger? Well, Squid, I got that a long, long, long time ago when I was first playing uh, pee wee hockey. Like we all started out in our little league in our little town in Weyburn, and uh, we won the little pee wee championships that year. And guess what? The name of the team I was on, the Maple Leafs, and our coach Johnny Norman who was uh, the city clerk in Waverly at the time, we won the championship and he all bought us little windbreakers and he put Tiger on the sleeve. So that was probably when I was, you know, six, seven, eight years old, uh, whatever it was. And it, it never changed. Uh, so I had it, you know, <laughs> everybody called me up. They still do to this day, but that's how I got the name was Johnny Norman. All right, give me the name. And then, uh, you know, all through, you know, Bantam hockey. We, you know, we had good teams in Weyburn. Like you, you guys remember Dennis Sobchak. He was probably one of the, you know, yeah. the talented guy. He was unbelievable. And so we won the Bantams because we won the Pee Wee Championship together with him. We won the Bantam Championship together with him. And we won the Midget uh, AAA because of him. So he was another guy. <clears throat> uh, he went to Regina and won a Memorial Cup with Regina with the Pats, you know. Great, great, talented guy. Another guy that helped me along the way, you know, and uh, uh, Sabi was a good player. Well, I think one way you were just going back to you were talking about you as a player and identifying yourself as a player. I think one of the best things I can say to you, speaking to players, and I'm sure you've heard this before, when we do speak to other NHL players or guys in the past, the one thing they hated about playing you or hated you for was the fact that most guys have one fight and it's over. But with you, it never was. It was on every shift if you had your way. So as a result, they'd stay away from you or they'd try to stay away from you. Well, I mean, uh, the other thing you have to be, uh, you know, when you're a pro, your job is to win. That's what you get paid for. Mm -hmm. So you got to win. Anyway, if you're not cheating on the ice, you're not 
you're not trying to win hard enough as far as I'm concerned. So you got to take advantage of every situation. One thing I always did, I'd find out if the other tough guy had a sore shoulder on the right or the left, or, you know, he had a sore hand in it. I would find this information out. There was lots of guys around that you could, <laughs> that I would uh, get this info from. And you had to take advantage of it. One time, uh, Schultz, was at a bad wing. And, uh, and so I this is when you, this is when you you get them. That's when you take advantage of that situation. And uh, so I went after him, and uh, he, you know, he had, he he, he had, it was his first shift. And I said to the guy, as soon as he gets on the ice, I don't care who you are, get off because I'm I, I got to get him now. This is when you <laughs> this is when you 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 gain the mental the mental game there against different guys. And I went after him, and, and the hammer, the smart guy, and. Uh, uh, he got me in what we used to call the Cleveland Clapper. He wrapped me up, and I wasn't going anywhere because that that you know Schulte was a big man and a strong guy. Well, I was I was, you know, I wasn't very happy. So I weaseled my way in there and I bit him on the end of the nose, and I talked and I chomped him. This was not a little little nibble. I was trying to bite the end of his nose off, and he was like the movie Deliverance. He was going, ee, ee, ee. <laughs> oh, was he so mad at me. still mad at me about it. You might Tyson him. And after the game, Keith Allen was down in front of the dressing room arguing with uh, Jim Gregory, and, and uh, he's yelling, that guy bit him, that, that animal built my player, and he's screaming and yelling, and Jim Gregory come in. I had, he had my equipment off, and I'm, he walks up to me, and he just boots me. Just boots me. He says, did you bite him? Did you bite him? And I said, no, sir. He walked up. The next day I'm getting dressed. He comes in and boots me again. He goes, don't ever lie to me again. <laughs> well, let's let's pick up on that with the Flyers and, and Schultz. The 76 playoff battle with those guys. It was the first of a few for you guys. It was filled with everything, uh, the battles, the Roy McMurtry report on violence in hockey, the arrest of the Flyers, the salming mugging, the famous goal I scored the next game, Sutler's five-goal game. What was your take in that whole series? You got to play a lot then. Yeah, and we uh, we should have beat them out uh, at, at different times along on that journey. But, you know, you have to give – they had great goaltending. Uh, their top two lines could score, and they were they were a tough opponent. Every friggin' shift, you had to be mentally. Those were the games where you had to be very mentally prepared to fight through whatever you had to fight through. Um, mm -hmm. They were they were very good forechecking team. Uh, uh, Clarky uh, again. A, a great professional because he he kind of had the referees, in my opinion, in his pocket. And he could get away with stuff that most guys in the league couldn't get away with. He could hack and chop as good as anybody in the league, maybe better than most guys in the league. And he got away with it. And uh, and then they had their, you know, they, they had good teams. You know, the Watson boys were on defense. Uh, uh, you know, they had all sorts of guys. They, they had a great team. That's why they won the two cups. And they were they were tough, tough team to play against. And uh, you found out, uh, you know, 
how much fortitude you had when you went into Philly, especially, you know, at home, it was a little bit different because yeah. you had last change and you can manipulate the situation a little bit different as they did to you in their building. But they were, they were good teams. And uh, it, 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 they were battles. They were freaking battles. They were so much fun at the end of the game. You're everybody was tired. I, I, I can guarantee you on both teams and it was a friggin' war. And it was they were fun to play. They were fun to play. They were yeah, that, that's what you were there for. Yeah, those would be fun to play. And I I I mean Philly had similar teams when I played. Um, but they were they were different tough guys, but they always had that same type of team. But again, as you said, and I you know, I think a lot of people just assume that they won because they beat the shit out of everybody. But they had some pretty damn good hockey players on that team. Billy Barber, McLeish, and, you know, the, you said the Watson brothers. And, I mean, Bernie Perron and goal, Bobby Clark. I mean, like, come on. They, they had a pretty damn good hockey team. Too. Tommy, Bladen, just, Tommy Bladen with a big right-handed yeah. shot uh, on the power play. Could shoot the puck as good as anybody. You're, you're dead right, Squid. The, their top two lines were as good as any in the league. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, Reggie Leach, you know, McLeish, Barber, you know, when they got opportunities, that goalie had to make a hell of a save to stop that little black thing, you know. But they, they were good. at And Bernie was also, uh, uh, you know, he, he come he, he, he was as good as he got as a goaltender in the league at the time, too. Yeah. And I think Freddie Sherrill, as far as manipulating each situation – uh, was very very good at that. He was a very good coach. He ne- he never had a weakness out there, you know. Uh, and that's the sign of a good coach, you know. So, um, you know, we should have beat them the one year that uh, Claire Alexander got hurt and uh, towards the end of the game, and uh, it got away from us. But uh, you know, that's hockey. Well, you but that one year you you were signed to cover Clark's line. I believe with the Brat line, you guys with uh, Boutet and Balaket, and uh, you had seventy-five penalty minutes. So I'd say you were fully engaged. Well, you you had to be engaged. You had to be engaged at that time of year. You know, I mean, you play you play these games all year long, having the opportunity yep. to get in the playoffs and trying to get to the finals. That's what it was all about, and uh, it's it's not easy. It, it's still it, it never was. It never will be, and. Uh, if, if your team mates are not engaged, all of them, you're not going to beat. You're not going to win in the playoffs. Uh, it, it, no. The game just gets moved to a, a different level. And uh, you have to be willing to die for your craft. And that's why, like, if the kids that are playing now in today's game or playing junior or whatever, if they're not willing to fight for their crest, you're in the wrong business, man. Because we don't, I don't want you on my team. I don't want you on my team unless you're willing to die for your craft. That's how important. Because because it's never mind letting down yourself, never mind your teammates or your organization. But you got a whole bunch of fans, and there's not thousands of them. There's hundreds of thousands of. Them. They're counting on you because they can't do it. You got to do it for them, and it's your obligation to be the best you can be. And that's why you got to stay mentally and physically fit and you've got to work through some injuries here and there. That's just the way it goes, you know, but uh, I love teammates that are willing 
to, to die for each other. That's how you win. If you don't have enough of them, which the Leafs didn't have last year against Montreal, you're not going to win. So what was no. missing from you guys to go to the next level during those that late 70s team that was really good? We needed another guy, uh, another, in my opinion, we needed another top centerman that could back up Sittler's uh, group. And we, we went through different guys. Some guys couldn't take the pressure, whatever ever happened to him. But we ne we never had that other guy. Um, and we needed, uh, as far as I'm concerned, we needed a guy on D that was good, but he was big and he was tough. And we were missing that guy. Our Turnbull and Salming and those guys, uh, like Boria played, you know, he played 30, 30, 36 minutes a game. Like he was an unbelievable player. But we needed another guy to help him and Turnbull out to, to be more of a, uh, as I was as forward, we needed a guy like that on D. And we never had that. But that, that second line centerman was the guy I thought we were always missing. Jesus, it almost sounds like you're talking about this year's team, Tiger. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they could use another good defensive defenseman. They could use a some more forwards with a little bit of grit and, and, and bang and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it's something that they're missing, unfortunately. And they were missing last year in the playoffs, as you mentioned. And that is the reason that they faltered and lost that series because they didn't have enough guys, as you said, that were willing to go in and, and do whatever they needed to do in order to win. Well, you'll find that. Unless you have. You, you better yeah, unless you have those guys. Yeah. Yeah. You don't but win you if you don't have players that are. You better you better figure out what you're missing before the playoffs start because then it's too late, you know. And yeah. you 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 gotta you your talented guys gotta know that somebody and more than one guy has got their back. They have to know yeah. that. That's very important to their mental health to know that they're gonna be looked after. And in today's game, it's way way harder. To, to do that than in, than in our air because there was mm -hmm. a little more flexibility and there wasn't a hundred cameras and, and four referees and blah, 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 blah. And, uh, and you know, we could whack and, and hack way, way harder than they can now. So it, it, it's tougher. So I, I'd certainly, you know, there's a lot of talented players, but some of them are not that mentally tough. And somehow we have to teach those young men to get mentally tough. And you, you got to fight through this stuff because, yeah. you know, it, it, you know, they complain about uh, McDavid in, uh, in, um, in Edmonton. But if I'm playing against McDavid, I, I'm, I'm going to try to get him every friggin' shift. Are you kidding me? And, you know, because he's, he's the man, you know? So, He's got to learn to deal with it a little bit better, but his teammates also got to make sure that they're going to help him out. And, you know, the, the other thing, the league would not, you know, in in my era when we got suspended or got fined and everything, that come right off our check, right? That makes no sense to me. Why would I look after your ass for nothing? So, yes, I know the league had rules that if they get caught, you can – you could send the money to me in July. Who the hell would gonna know? You know, yeah. you know, like <laughs> TP 
it's got to be they they got to outsmart the league, you know. Now, define yeah. Red Kelly as a coach, and what made him so special? And your take on pyramid power? Well, Red was the maybe the nicest human being that I'd ever met, and his wife was. Uh, uh, they were phenomenal people. They were so nice. They were. Uh, I loved Red, and Red was the kind of guy he never raised his voice. He. If, if Red was mad, if he was ever mad, he would say, son of a sea cook and bottle washer. That was the, <laughs> that was it. That was about all you're ever getting. He was a lot like Roger Nielsen. They never, ever swore. They never, ever screamed. They never, ever yelled. They never did anything stupid. And they never had these stupid bag practices and all this idiocy that some of these coaches uh, would do. Uh, and Red would, after practice, he would always – you know, he'd say, okay, we're going to work on your backhand today. You know, I said, really? <laughs> but anyway, he was always with, he always made you feel part of it. And he was always trying to improve you, uh, you know, on the ice, cause, you know, all the time. And uh, I loved the man. He was an easy guy to play for. Uh, but the whole organization was, I mean, uh, you know, I don't know about you, Squid, but like, Mr. Ballard was like, I love that guy. Like he, he was the best of the best. I met, I still miss him to this day. Uh, anytime that we used to get into, uh, into uh, trouble off the ice, I'd be the guy to go and talk to him. And he just wanted you to be honest to him. And he wanted you to bleed blue. And I was willing mm -hmm. to do that. So I got along so well with him that I, I, I love the band. I, uh, I was I was so disappointed when I got traded, but once you're traded, it, it's over. Uh, we yeah. already went through that, but uh, you know it's it's a great place to play in Toronto. Uh, the players have to realize if you're going to play there, you better have a big set of balls because you're going to have to. Like we can't wait any longer, man. Like 67, holy smokes, we got to get this job done sooner than later. And it's going to take high-quality, mentally tough people. I don't care how fast you can yeah. shoot the puck or how fast you can skate. Can you do it in the playoffs when the guy against you is 6'4"? Yeah. Well, it's funny because I've always said that. I've been talking about that for I don't know how long. If you, if you don't have thick skin or big balls, whatever way you want to put it, you can't play in a city like Toronto or probably Montreal. You just you won't be able to play there because you won't be able to take be able to take, handle the pressure and and go out every night and do what you need to do in order to win. Unless you have tough skin, forget it. Go go play somewhere else. Go play where they don't care about hockey that much. Yeah, and, and the other thing I think players have got to realize is once you sign, uh, like if I ever ever ran an organization, especially if I was a general manager or coach, if your agent ever called me or your mother, you would be so far away from Toronto, the hockey <laughs> news would never find you. That's how deep you'd be buried wherever. You you know yeah. what? You sign your contract, you use whoever you use to help you, and mommy and daddy Stay at home. They got nothing to do with you anymore. You are playing for me, your teammate. Figure that out. Forget everything else. It's about us. 
It's not about anybody else but those 20 guys that are playing that night. And the next night, there might be a different guy. It's about us. That's all you should be concerned about is us. Nobody else. Yeah. Well, not to mention the fact that you you agreed to a contract and you were gonna you're gonna give your services for that contract, so you got to live up to that. You got to do exactly what you signed up to do. And you know, if you're not if you're not willing to do that, then like you said, get them away as far away as you possibly can. If I was a general manager, I'd do the same goddamn thing. You know, now, Tiger, I do want to get into your relationship with Ballard in a second, but that's, I just want to go back and finish up with some of the coaches in Toronto, particularly Roger Nielsen. We, you touched on how nice he was and all the players like, but why was he so loved by the players? And even this whole fiasco of his firing, then rehired him, Ballard wanting to wear the bag over his head and all that, what were you guys all talking about in the room? So maybe touch on him as the coach and what made him special and just that whole firing incident. Well, I... You know, that whole bag thing, I, I just I just kind of brushed it aside. That That's just part of the circus that happens every once in a while. And uh, <laughs> Roger, uh, I, I love Roger. Uh, I had him twice. I had him uh, in Toronto and in Vancouver. Yep. And uh, in Vancouver, Roger and I, after practice, he would take his dog Mike and him and I'd go for an hour hike together. Uh, and that was between me and Roger and Mike. Uh, we never told anybody. Roger would come to my place and have supper with uh, Brennan and I and my kids. Uh, we, I had a different relationship with him. But one thing I loved about Roger, of coming through the, the junior ranks and everything, was Roger never, ever swore. Roger never, ever raised his voice. He was very, very prepared. Uh, you were never going to outsmart him. He could think on his feet really quick. He always had the right guys on the ice at the right time. You know, I, I just really liked him. He was a good guy. You know, it never started out that way because the the first time when within the first month, um, talk about Philadelphia, I used to tell the guys on Philly, uh, whether it was Billy Clement or Don Selesky, whoever, I said, when you guys get traded away from the Wolfpack and you're going to be on your own, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> well, watch what you do on the ice here because I, I won't forget. And Bill Clement was a guy that would hack and, 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 and spear and slash. You know, he's been doing commentating for a long time, and he, I know he'll remember this. Uh, and he'd do it to Daryl and whatever, and we couldn't deal with Bill Clement, because he was a panty weight. We had to, I had to save myself for the other guys. That's just the way it works. And so you have to put up with that. That's that the old, you got to turn your cheek there and just take one for the Gipper there. But he finally got traded to Atlanta. And so I said to the guys, my first game, but I'm not even playing with Toronto then. I, uh, well, pardon me, I was playing in Toronto then. I was thinking of something else with Billy. But anyway, I said to the guys, when Bill Komet gets on the ice, just before the game, I said, in the, if we're ahead or behind, and it's in the last five minutes, and he gets on the ice, nearest guy gets to the bench, because I said, I'm going to zap him. And I said, you guys just pretend it didn't happen. Don't come and help me. I'll survive. And I speared that. My concept was I was going to stick the stick in his belly button and stick it right through and hold him up like this. And he went down, and he was out cold. They dragged him off on the stretcher. And when I got home, we flew home that night. We chartered back to Toronto. And what used to happen in Toronto, the coaches never, ever come and told you you weren't playing. When you walked into the dressing room, if your yeah. press was facing out, you were not on the lineup that night. And I was always the first guy 
in the dressing room most of the time. And when I come in there, there's my crest facing out. And I look at Joe's girl, our trainer, and, I, and Joe looks at me and he goes, points to Roger in his office. And I go in the office and I I don't even knock. I just walk right in. And I, I, I'm all over him. And he goes, sit down, take a breath. And I said, I'm not sitting down. And then he says, well, let me tell you something. He says, I come home last night and I watched that video and Bill Clement was never on that ice once with you. And you tried to kill him. He said, I can't have a guy on my team that's willing to kill somebody over nothing. And I snapped. And I reached over and I grabbed him and I pulled him across the desk. And I said, listen, you old school teacher delivered papers. When I was getting speared a hundred times a game over the last few years in Philadelphia, I had to turn a cheek to it. And now it's my turn. And I let him go. And I said, if I don't play tonight, you get me out of here tomorrow. I played that night. <laughs> That's how Roger and I started off. But I, I love the guy. I, I, I never really had a coach. I, You know, you've you got to respect your coach. There's just some coaches just aren't that good. Yep. You know, as, a, as people, they were good. They're okay people. But they were not good coaches. The Red Kelly was smart. Not many guys are a Hall of Famer in two different positions on the ice like he was. Roger never ever played the game, but he'd figured the game out. His track record in Peterborough proved that. And the guys were willing to do what he asked. You know, he uh, now Roger would slot you in different roles, and he expects you to be in that role. And uh, some guys bought into it and some guys didn't, you know. But if you were a goal scorer, you're going to play every power play. You know, you're going to, you're going to try to get you on the ice against the third line or the fourth line. He, he was very good at, at utilizing his talent uh, individually or as a group. Whether there's five of you on the ice or three on the ice or four on the ice, he was good at that, really good at it. You never outsmarted that guy. And his practices made sense. You know, if you got beat or one, and, he, you know, of course, nobody's happy about that. He never went to the stupid bags game. How is that going to help you win the next game? You know, work on what the screw-ups were, not some stupidity of skating across the rink a hundred times. I mean, just to piss us off, you think that's helping? 